Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Do you have a valuable card collection but you put zero effort into storage? Do you keep your cards in a box like this? Or like this? Something like this? This? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> what are we doing here? You need Pastime Marketplace. Pastime Marketplace is the Mercedes-Benz of sports card storage. The cases come in a variety of sizes. They're waterproof, airtight, dustproof, and extremely durable. If you care about your collection, visit PastimeMarketplace.com and treat your cards to the storage they deserve. Don't forget to use discount code BENCHCLEAR to get 10% off your order. Yo and hello everybody, Mike Moynihan here and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard Podcast. This is a podcast where I try to dive deep into different teams and eras and players and sets and you name it. I love, you know, really getting in to the heart of different aspects of our hobby and there's so much of it to cover. That's why I feel like I'm never going to run out of subject matter for this podcast because there's always cool stuff to talk about. And today is no different. But I didn't want to do today by myself because again, nobody wants to hear I did an episode by myself and that was probably the last one I'm going to do, so I brought back my trusty co-host, Andy Davis. Hey, Andy, how are you? I'm good, Mike. It's uh, it's good to be back. I've uh, been a little bit under the weather for I don't know the last week or so, so it's uh, it's good to be back. Well, I'm sure everybody's glad to have you back, especially me, because now I don't have to carry the whole bloody thing. You can, <laughs> you can carry it. Well, we're we're setting up for disappointment if that's the expectation. <laughs> but we'll try. Well, uh, so today, man, I want to cover the Dodgers, the Brooklyn slash Los Angeles Dodgers, because I think they have just one of the coolest histories of any team in Major League Baseball history, and especially in the vintage area that we like to focus on on this podcast. It was just a time of just amazingness going on in New York, right? You had the Giants that were really good. The Yankees, of course, and the Dodgers. So I think a New York team was in the World Series like 15 out of 16 years through the four, late 40s and through the early 60s or so. It was some crazy number. I bet our guests that we're going to have on tonight will know that number, but they it was dominated by New York baseball and the Dodgers were right in the middle of it. What do you... Uh, remember about Dodgers what do you think about when you think of vintage Dodgers um I guess the you know the obvious guys that that come to mind Jackie Robinson Duke Snyder um you know Pee Wee Reese just you know guys like that that uh I think we were talking before we came on you were talking about the Ken Burns baseball documentary and yeah I mean like I'm kind of like you like I watch that at least once a year so it's uh, just a great refresher and it's like you learn something new or hear something you maybe didn't hear before when you watched it every time. So the Dodgers very prominent in several of those episodes. So yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about our guest too. I mean, he's obviously, you know, from that area. I mean, not from the area that from then, but from the area where they play now, but uh, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a cool dude very knowledgeable. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny you bring up the Ken Burns series because just like you, I watch it every off season. It's a habit for me and Julie, my wife, whenever it comes on and she knows she sees it starting to record because they play a couple episodes a week on the MLB network. And she says, uh, you know, 
what the heck, you know, uh, are we watching this again? And I'm like, yes, we're, I'm watching it again. And so I have to wait usually till she goes to sleep. But the, what really sparked my interest in doing this episode is a couple of weeks, maybe a week ago or so, I was watching some stuff on the Dodgers through that documentary. And I was like, I got to do something on the Dodgers. And you and I are not Dodger experts, are we? I'm not. Self-admittedly, sure. not a Dodgers expert. Yeah. But we wanted to bring a Dodgers expert on because mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about the Dodgers, let's talk about somebody that knows something about it. So we decided to have Josh, rated rookie, on with us. Josh, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Mike. Uh, definitely not a Dodger expert, but appreciate you having a uh, Kobe collector on the show. And I'm excited to join a Russell Westbrook collector to discuss today's ball. This should be fun. Yeah, this does seem kind of bass backwards. I probably should have had uh, Pepino Man or, I mean, goodness gracious, he works for the Dodgers. But the this is a podcast, and a lot of people that listen to the podcast may not know the YouTube community that there's a lot of Dodgers fans out there. They're, uh, and congrats on your World Series win this year, by the way. Thank you. Still, still basking in glory. It's been 32 years, so we earned it. Yeah, you did. Uh, I've been a Rangers fan for – all 48 years of their existence we have zero so don't uh here we go um let's let's dive straight into some dodgers history and you know they obviously they started in brooklyn and brooklyn part one of the boroughs of new york city but very distinct brooklyn had the it it was they called it the bedroom of new york city it was where everybody you know, lived and then they would travel into Manhattan or somewhere else to work. And so it was a very community type feel and Ebbets Field was right in the middle of it. And so it was your neighborhood ball, like literally the neighborhood ballpark. You could walk down the street and hear the roar of the crowd. And it was such a different feel. There are a few places like that today. I guess you could say maybe Wrigley Field has that feel a little bit. Um, but most ballparks aren't literally in a neighborhood. And so the Dodgers had this unique connection with their fans and with the community and they were so bad. I mean, for so long, they were terrible. Uh, They changed names. Like they were called the Robins at one point and the subpoenas and the, I can't even remember all the names, the trolley Dodgers. And then they became the Dodgers. They had several other names in there in between, but when they became the Dodgers, you know, Wilbert Robinson was their uh, manager back in the day. He's a Hall of Famer. But they had guys like Dazzy Vance and Babe Herman. I think Babe Herman hit like 393 one year or something. So there are – I can't remember to take out the trash, but I can tell you that Babe Herman hit 393. I want to say it was 1934-ish, 35. Um, don't know where that comes from in my brain. And then in the post-war era, the Dodgers really became something special. And that's what I want to focus on since that is the focus of this podcast. Do you have any Dodger? like was your family Dodger fans or how did you become a Dodgers fan, Josh? Yeah, I grew up a Dodger fan. My dad was a huge Dodger fan. Sandy Koufax was actually his favorite player. So I grew up with those stories and uh, had no real other choice but to hate the Giants and love the Dodgers. Yep. There is that love-hate relationship between Dodgers and Giants fans for sure. And that stems all the way back from New York, right? They moved essentially at the same time out to California. They stayed in the same uh, division, certainly the league, but when divisions came about, they stayed in the same NL West. And so they've always had this rivalry, famous rivalry, right? Um, The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. What year was that? 51? Bobby Thompson shot heard around the world. That seems right. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. Bobby Thompson off Ralph Branca. Yep. Uh, I think Willie May, it was Willie Mays's first or second year, but that was a bad day for the Dodgers. But anyway, you don't remember any of that. Neither does your dad. He hasn't even been a fan that long, but going back to those teams in the forties and fifties and sixties, when they crossed over to California, they were still great and they kept that greatness going. But let's talk about, let's just get the, let's talk about the 
biggest one, what the Dodgers did. And that's bring Jackie Robinson into Major League Baseball. I don't think you can come up with a moment or an event that had as much of a lasting impact on baseball as Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, Branch Rickey having the courage to uh, to go ahead and bring Jackie in at a time when no one else was willing to do that. He was, you know, he was willing to be the pioneer in that way. And um, obviously, baseball is better, and um, you know, certainly, the history of baseball since then has has changed dramatically because of that and uh yeah i mean that's to me that would be if i was a dodgers fan which i'm a cubs fan so sorry josh but we have a lot of names for you dodgers but you know (laughs) not not just them bums we got we got a lot of other ones but yeah that's if i was a dodgers fan that's definitely one of the things that i would be most proud of as far as the history of the the franchise goes um what about you josh can you can you kind of discuss like maybe like how you feel about that, maybe how your dad and, you know, others in your family may have felt about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tremendous, right? Because uh, Jackie actually, I think grew up in Pasadena, then went to UCLA, was a phenomenal, you know, athlete, track star across the board. Um, Unbelievable, you know, player, of course, but maybe not necessarily the best player, but he was probably the best player suited to do what he did with kind of how he, handled it, how he was able to uh, deal with, you know, everything that came with him and the slurs and everything he had to put up with and then going on to have the career that he had and um, the way he, you know, kind of helped turn around the Dodgers and energize them really, um, you know, coming out of that them bums era that Mike was talking about. Yeah, so Jackie has some pretty key cards in baseball card history as well. His cardboard era starts in as early as 47 right you have the bond bread issues that were done which are super expensive even in low grades but those are kind of his first cards i guess and then he has a 48 leaf card which is a key card josh do you have that card i can't remember no i just have some of the tops issues starting in 53 great we'll go there in a second but that leaf card is super tough to get great card, beautiful card. Then you had his 49 Bowman card, which is also considered a rookie, even though I don't, I think the leaf is because it came out. Well, the four, the leaf can be 48 slash 49, right? But the Bowman card is also a beautiful card. And then he has a 50 Bowman, if I remember right. Um, then he has a bunch of tops cards starting in, 52, uh, 52, 53, 53 tops. There it is. Card number one. That's right. JP, we just that this is one of his favorite cards of all time. It is. It's, yeah. it's got to be top 10 for most people if you just appreciate the history of the cardboard. Uh, he has a f- beautiful 54 tops, yellow back, if I remember right, like a yellow background card, gorgeous card. Oh, there it is. There Josh is. showing it. Uh, right there, 54 tops. He has a 55 tops as well, a little horizontal card action. There it is, another yellow mm-hmm. background. Man, Josh came prepared. And then his last card is 56 tops. That's right. And so Jackie, <laughs> uh, do y'all know why he retired after the 56 season? No. He, well, they heard, you know, the move was pending. Right. And he just didn't want to make the move back to L.A. He was just tired. I mean, can you imagine what he had been through in his, you know, about a decade in Major League Baseball? I mean, gosh, what a just beating that he had to go through psychologically and physically and everything. He was just worn out. I don't blame him one bit uh, for saying, you know, y'all go ahead and go on to L.A. I'm going to stay here. And, of course, Jackie became a Hall of Famer. Josh, what is your favorite Jackie Robinson card? I would probably go with JT's 53 pick. Um, 
I just think the look of that one is tremendous. Would love to pick up the 52 at some point, and some of the other ones you mentioned, of course, are just astronomical, but love the design of the 53. How about you guys? Andy? Yeah, I think for me, um, it would probably be the, the 48, 49 leaf, whichever you want to call it. And uh, that's that's one of those, I mean, it's like, it's like every time I'm on one of these episodes, like we always bring up cards that, I missed the boat on that I really wanted to get. And then they just like explode in price. That's one of them that was kind of on my want list for a long time. And, you know, you just kind of always assume that, well, you know, it's going to be there relatively the same price. I'll wait, get that later. And not the case anymore. So that, you know, I may have to find a new favorite. <laughs> the Dodgers won the world series in 55, if I'm remembering right. And that was a big deal because they'd finally got off the schneid. You know, the Yankees had beaten the beaten them, and the Giants would beat them out for the pennant, and then the Yankees might beat them in the World Series. And so for them to finally get off the schneid in 55 was a huge deal for Brooklyn. And then, of course, they ripped the, the whole heart and soul out of the community and moved the team. It's uh, got to be pretty devastating. But another key, you know, there were – tons of key players on those teams in the early fifties. You've got Duke Snyder, of course, and Gil Hodges and Pee Wee Reese. And even, you know, I'm trying to think of a pitcher, Carl Ferrello, I think was, you know, Ralph Branca was a great pitcher, even though he gave up the home run to Bobby Thompson, he was a great pitcher. But one of the key guys to me, and one of the guys that I think is most underappreciated in the whole hobby is Roy Campanella. And, you know, he was a catcher that started in the Negro Leagues as well. Uh, his first card is 1949 Bowman, which I recently picked up. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I did. Andy was there when I picked it up a couple of weeks ago at a card show in Dallas. And I'm so glad I picked it up. And it's funny for me to hype a card once I've got it. That's pretty easy, right? That's like, you know, not really fair, but... All of Campy's cards are gorgeous. Um, what do you guys think about Roy Campanella, his impact on the game, his impact on the hobby? Do you think he's underrated? All of those questions. Josh, start with you. Well, first of all, I'm really jealous about that card because I've been looking at it for a while and asked a few guys about it at the last national, and I should have bought it, of course. Um, but, yeah, Campanella, you mentioned Jackie Robinson. I'm sure we're going to get to Koufax. Like, one thing that jumps out is – how great they were in a limited amount of time, right? And so, of course, we have the auto accident with Campanella, but just how great he was and the impact that they made. And, you know, some of these guys played for around a decade or so, and you compare that to, you know, a 20-year career, but um, they got so much done in, in a limited amount of time. Andy? Yeah, first off, let me say that uh, for anybody out there listening, one of the common themes that you will hear throughout all the episodes is us talking about cards that we wish we would have bought. You never hear us talk about, man, I wish I wouldn't have bought that card, but we always wish we would have bought this card. So if you have a chance to pick up a card that you want, take our advice and go ahead and get it. Um, yeah, I would say Campanella, he, when you talk about the greatest catchers of all time, um, he's really, he's not one of the first guys that a lot of people think of, but I mean, if you just look at the numbers and his impact on the teams that he played on, I mean, he absolutely should be. Um, but he had, you know, he did have his career shortened. So I think that that may like, I don't know, I guess hurt him whenever people are thinking about the all time greats at the catcher position. But yeah, I think he is probably underrated and undervalued for sure. Uh, he did win three MVP awards. <laughs> I mean, he was pretty stellar in a time where there were lots of great players in the league. It's not like it was, you know, a bunch of chumps out there. It was there was it was a heyday of baseball during, you know, the early fifties and mid fifties when he was winning these MVP. I mean, he had Willie Mays in the National League. He had Hank Aaron. You know, it's not like <laughs> there were a bunch of no names. I mean, and, look at the guys on his own team. Right. I mean. Exactly. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, again, only played 10 years in the majors. But I think he would have played because he was only 35 
when he quit playing. I think he had another probably two or three years left. He was he was planning on making the move with the Dodgers to L.A., but obviously got hurt uh, in a car accident and was paralyzed, and that ended his career. So you've got one of my favorite cards of Campanella that I just think about all the time when I think about Campy is his 53 tops. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go look it up because he's got, it's just a great portrait shot of Campanella and he's leaning back and he's got his cap on. He's got this tremendous grin on his face and he just looks like, man, that I'm just happy to be a Brooklyn Dodger. You know, it's just this uh, great photograph of or art, I guess 53 tops are kind of painted pictures, you know, and it's just such a beautiful baseball card. His last card is 57 tops. Although he does have a card in 58 tops. I, think, I can't remember what the name of it is. Gosh, darn it. Cause it's in the 300 great part symbol of courage. That's yep. it. Symbol of courage. And it shows Campanella in a wheelchair and it's, so that's in 58 tops, but his last playing days cards is 57, which is also another great simple card, you know, uh, batting he's taking a batting pose, you know, on the sidelines or whatever. And it's a great card. Um, I but, mean, I think that was a 59, the symbol of courage. I remember I'm that. Sorry. You're right. You're right. But, you know, one thing that jumps out too is like you compare it to modern times and how hard it is to collect players. And, you know, all these guys is just relatively simple in terms of, you know, very few, very few cards. And it's even fewer than like Clemente or someone else who, whose career got cut short. But, you know, you're just talking a handful of cards if you want to do a run for one of these players. Yeah, for sure. And, the problem is price, right? <laughs> right. Uh, if you want to get a decent mid-grade campy card, well, you can buy. I remember buying the fifty-three tops last year. Again, this was last year, right? Lots changed in a year, but I think I paid eighty bucks, and I have a PSA five of that card in the fifty-three. So I don't know what they are today. Uh, do you guys ever? That's another funny point. I don't look at cards once I buy them. I don't go back and go, man, what's that? You know maybe occasionally, but I'm not researching the card like you do when you're on the hunt for it. Do y'all do the same thing? Um, I think Josh really nailed it on the head when you were saying, you don't know if it, what the price of it is now. And he said more, <laughs> that's <laughs> usually the case with, with anything, I guess, from, you know, last year to this year. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of guilty of that. I do. I do kind of pay attention. I think <laughs> just to kind of see what's going on. How about you, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I, I have my spreadsheet for a lot of them too. And then I also, right now, I have a uh, card ladder membership. So they don't have a ton of vintage stuff. That's probably an area they got to add to. I think they have like one Kofax card in this Project 2020. So there's oh, wow. definitely holes in there, but I get a sense for kind of how the market's going that way. Josh, do you have any campy cards at all? Uh, I think I have a 53 somewhere and then Got the uh, 56. Uh, yeah. so Beautiful 56. Love yeah. that card. Love that card. Love the, the now, does Campy, does he have any like oddball or regional issues that you guys know of, or is it just basically the tops and Bowman? We have the wrong guests on here to answer that question. Uh, <laughs> I, I genuinely don't know. Yeah, I was just curious. I mean, I don't, I don't know either obviously so i'm sure they do i just don't know what they are yeah okay uh okay so we've covered jackie and campy as their careers are winding down two great dodger pitchers are about to begin their careers and you've got sandy koufax and don drysdale let's talk about drysdale first we'll leave koufax till the very end since i know that's one of Josh's favorite guys to talk about. It's funny how Drysdale gets totally, I think, discounted for his career because he played with Koufax. To me, it feels like people don't talk about Don Drysdale. They talk about Sandy Koufax. If you talk about Dodger great pitchers and Drysdale was no slouch. Drysdale was the real deal back then. Uh, his rookie card is 57 tops. Uh, very simple card, portrait card of Drysdale. Do you have one of those, Josh? I don't. I'd love to pick that one up. Ah, you need to get one of those. That's one of those. Hey, when's the best time to buy a 
Drysdale rookie now. Uh, and then he has cards all the way, but he only played till 69. Like 69 is his last tops card. Uh, I need to look up his stats real quick while I'm sitting here. But what do you guys – I mean, that's an incredible – Go ahead. Uh, I mean, I think he's a incredible, you know, all-time player, but that's an in- interesting thought, like being the number two, right, the, the second banana, if you will. Like that happens modern day as well. You got the Bray, the Cunha, and – and Freeman and Freeman seems to get overlooked, right? And so it always seems to happen if you're a great player, but there's just someone even better on your team. Inevitably, you kind of get overlooked. Andy, you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and just to prove that I agree with that, I don't really know a lot about Drysdale, to be honest. <laughs> well, I know he appeared on an episode of The Brady Bunch, I think, with Wes Farrell back when I was a kid. So, okay, that's what I know about. No, uh, you know, Drysdale became really famous once he became a, uh, I say really, really famous to old to younger people when he was, you know, he did broadcasting forever. Um, and so people got to hear him be a broadcaster, but he won 20 games twice. He was just one of those consistent pitchers i mean he had a sub three era for his entire career he did win a cy young award he was an all-star uh one two three four five six eight times he only had a 14-year career he quit at 32 (laughs) uh which is just amazing what was his reasoning for quitting so young well Koufax's reasoning, I think, is uh, the story is just more famous. I, I wish I knew more. Do you know any details about that, Josh, about Drysdale? No, I don't know. Like, I mean, you mentioned the Cy Young. The one interesting thing about the Cy Young back then, it was across the majors, right? So if you were the Cy Young, you were winning it for both leagues. And I, I think that was 62, right? Uh, let's look. It was 62. Very good. He was 25 and 9. <laughs> That's pretty good. Really good. <laughs> yeah. Another interesting thing about Drysdale and Koufax, they actually negotiated their contract together one year. So they went <laughs> as a tag team, and uh, basically it was a get both of us or get neither of us. Wow. Power move. Real power move. I like and it. They, they actually held out from that. Uh, they were ready to sit out the whole season if the Dodgers didn't pay them collectively, you know, what they wanted. Uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool story. That's also told in the um, Ken Burns documentary. Mm-hmm. They talk about that. Really cool. Uh, so, yeah, that was 66. They got more than 100000 a year by negotiating their contracts together. Yeah, it doesn't say here why he retired, but go ahead, Josh. Yeah, I mean, the numbers are obviously hilarious when you compare it, but I mean, that's not the shortest career, you know, when you compare it to some of these other guys. True. 14 years. And he was a very durable guy. I mean, he led the league in starts uh, four straight years, 62, 63, 64, and 65. So it wasn't like, I mean, he had 42 starts in some of those years. Guys today are lucky to get 30, 35, you know, a, a normal in a five man rotation, you know, kind of system that we have today. They were workhorses back then. And he well, had uh, World Series, so you're playing more games, high pressure, you know, yeah. probably four days rest. So that also puts a, you know, Mike Trout doesn't have to worry about that as much compared to, uh, you know, some of the players who are in the, the playoffs every year, right? That's definitely right. Nervous. Yeah, he had 21 complete games in 1964 and 20 in 1965. I mean, yeah, see, that's even more impressive than, you know, the 42 starts or whatever. Like, because, yeah, these guys, when they went out there, their goal wasn't to get through like, you know, six innings like it is for a lot of guys now. It was to finish the game. Right. That's pretty incredible. Very, very different. Different. Uh, mentality than they have today for sure all right let's talk about Koufax because I am fascinated by the life 
story and career of Sandy Koufax and have been for a long time. Josh, what did your dad love about Sandy Koufax? I mean, I think most people who grew up in that era just think he's the best pitcher of all time. Um, I think he would pretty clearly be, you know, considered that if he had pitched longer, but everyone has just stories around um, how incredible he was. And then there's the Koufax, the man, right, where, you know, he didn't pitch on Yom Kippur, a Jewish high holiday during the World Series and the lore around that. And then he came back in that same series. I think that was 65 against the Twins. And he pitched game seven on two days rest to, to win the title. So, you know, he was a winner, dominant, probably had one of the most dominant stretches of all time. And then anyone who kind of had the opportunity to see him, you know, just say he was the best that they've ever seen. Well, his career, you know, didn't start off too great, right? I mean, until 19 through 1960, he was a sub 500 pitcher for his career in terms of wins and losses. So in 61, he becomes the Sandy Koufax. He got in the Hall of Fame basically for six, not just good seasons, not just great seasons, but all time seasons. Six in a row. It was insane, right? He won three Cy Youngs in that period. He won a National League MVP. Uh, he won a couple of World Series. He won the Triple Crown, the pitching Triple Crown in 63, 65, and 66. So there's got to be a story somewhere about Koufax and what changed for his career. I mean, he was a wild pitcher at first, and he w wasn't even that into baseball from what I understood. He was into basketball. And w I think when he was in college, the basketball coach was also the baseball coach and kind of brought him in. But he was all over the map at first, and it took a little bit of time for him to really hone in um, and just the ability to – I think he had kind of a, a rising fastball, just blow batters away with that. And, like, sometimes if his curveball wasn't working, he was like – Rivera, right, with, where it's just one pitch, but no one could touch it. And he was so good that even post-retirement, he would come in and throw batting practice sometimes, and still no one could hit it. I mean, that pitch was just insane. Well, it says uh, on some things that I'm reading right now as we're doing the stream that Koufax, after the, during the 60, at the beginning of the 61 season, he's just, he was ready to quit baseball. He's just like, you know, he was a very, again, average pitcher, wasn't as dominant. And he was told to start an exhibition game, and he walked the bases loaded on 12 pitches. And his catcher comes out and says, look, why don't you try not to throw as hard in order to try to have better control? And something clicked, and Sandy Koufax became Sandy Koufax, who, again, you're talking about, a guy who quit literally at his peak. He won the Cy Young after the 66 season. He was dang near the MVP again. He was second in the MVP race like he had been the year before. He won 27 games, a 1.73 ERA, 41 starts, 27 complete games. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I think the quote was, I want to be able to hold my grandkids, you know, someday. I don't basically, I don't want my arm to fall off and it's a lot of pressure to do that. So he quits at 30 years old, um, which is, I mean, goodness gracious. Can you imagine today a player saying that and how much money they would throw at him to try to get him to keep pitching? Yeah. I mean, he was, I think getting cortisone shots all the time. I mean, he must've been in so much pain, like the most modern day equivalent that I can think of, cross sports though is Barry Sanders who to me was the best running back I've ever seen short career you know in the conversation for the best ever um, but it's obviously that abbreviated career and you go out on top and people remember you that way right so uh, you know it's hard to compare greatness but you know it reminds me to, of Barry Sanders in certain ways yeah and that's that's a good point and do you guys think that Maybe that helps uh, Sandy Koufax's legacy with uh, with today's fans as far as because, you know, you didn't see him have those late career struggles as he got older. 
he left at the peak. So that's like Josh said, that's how everyone thinks of him that way. Nobody thinks about the early, the early couple of years where he struggled, but they just think of those six years and then there's no, no struggle at the end of his career. So he just kind of went out on top. You think that helps his legacy? Yeah, I think, I think there's some lore around him, right? And he was kind of a recluse and like would move every few years. It was very hard to track down, didn't do press for many years. And so he had a very private life. And I think that kind of built his kind of legendary status up a little bit more. And then the other component, which I think makes, you know, a lot of people want to collect him too, is he's the best Jewish player of all time, right? So, you know, being top, and I don't even know who would be number two potentially. Hank Greenberg. Probably Greenberg. Yeah, I was about to say, I bet Brian Roth knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Bregman's not making the cut anymore. So being the best Jewish player of all time, having that kind of greatness in the short period of time, I think makes him super collectible. But still, you know, until recently, of course, the 2020 you know, run up, I think pitchers are still generally more affordable than position players, right? So Koufax is rookie. Let's talk about the cardboard with Koufax. 55 tops, classic, iconic card. There it is. Josh is showing it right now. What grade do you have that in? That looks beautiful. That's a that's a six. Oh. That. My dad had a three, and I'm happy to upgrade you know one one thing i was thinking about was to me this is my favorite koufax card i think it's his most you know beautiful looking card and how often does that happen where your your rookie card is you know of course it's subjective but your rookie card is the best looking card that you have it's rare i can't think of and with mike schmidt i mean it didn't happen with a lot of guys you can think of some pretty ugly rookie cards right hank aaron the the best other one right uh, but Koufax, you know, and here's the thing that we're not talking about that we should Koufax is still alive. Right. Yeah. And we've talked about this on a previous episode about getting players with, uh, we did that with Eric, those back pages about some of these players. And we talked about Koufax specifically, that are still alive that if you want to get it's it, the only place for these cards to go is higher. If Koufax when Koufax passes away, he's not living forever. When Koufax passes away, where are these cards going to go? Right, Andy? Do you have a Koufax rookie? I do not. Well, map. See, we're we're adding to Andy's wish list. His Christmas list for is just getting longer and longer. I'm gonna be pretty broke, pretty broke, pretty soon. <laughs> With all the yeah, all the cards he's gonna buy, but that. Yeah. You know, how much do y'all think the A, I think Josh, you hit on it being a pitcher. I think pitchers are generally underappreciated in the hobby. And the fact that Koufax is still alive, do you think that mildly suppresses his values or do you think that's finally, that's becoming irrelevant? I think it still suppresses it. I mean, we saw it with Bob Gibson and who else, Seaver this year. Like you would think the price would be baked in, like you said. You know, he's 84, people, you know, not going to live forever. But there is this thing, as soon as, you know, someone passes away, it gets into the news and, you know, people, I guess, are, you know, more reactionary than you would expect. So, you know, thankfully, you know, he's he's still pretty involved and he seems to be in good health at 84. But, yeah, I mean, the time is now to pick up these guys' cards. For sure. See, Andy, that's he's going on eBay right now. He's not even paying attention to the stream. He's just typing away <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Uh, there we go <laughs> so Koufax is rookie 55 then he's got of course 56 57 he's got all the way through 1966 is his last card so that's like you said earlier Josh a great you can get all of his cards pretty easily if you just wanted a base tops run there's the gorgeous 56 is that the same portrait from 55 if I remember right uh, or they, they're pretty similar, but I don't think they're. No, exact. they're different. Okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I have fifty-nine. It's kind of cool. Yellow background. Got the sixty and sixty-two, and then this one's a little bit of an oddball. The sixty-four. You know, oh. another 
factor that I think it, you know infected the the Kofax market because it definitely you know came up is is Project Twenty Twenty this year too, and so that brought a little bit more attention to this, just like the Fifty Two Tops Jack you were talking about earlier. Yeah. So, does your dad have a complete run of the Kofax cards? No, you know, he basically had some 59s and 60s and then that 56. Um, he thought they were much better grade than they were. You know, of course, everyone expects, oh, I'm going to get PSA 8s and 9s. <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. quite. Happens um, to me every year with my cards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a 10. Oh, it might be an 8. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a 7. <laughs> uh, it's a 5. <laughs> Uh, do you think Kofax's stuff is still reasonably affordable, Josh? I mean, outside of his rookie, yeah. The the rookie has has come up a bit. I think for like a PSA six, you're talking like seventeen to hundred to two k. Um, and then you know you can obviously go down from there. Um, but you know, long term, it's it's a highly desirable card, so I don't see it coming down too much. I think, or I see Kofax, you know, I, I'm buying all these cards for my collection, all these, all the Hall of Famers from that era. And Kofax is often the most expensive pitcher in any given set. Yeah. If you were to look at any of those mid to late 50s sets, early 60s sets, bar, you know, non-rookie cards, Kofax is the most expensive pitcher. I'm trying to think of other ones. There's really not even anyone close on the hitter side you got aaron and Mays and Manol and a bunch of guys that are more expensive than kofax but in terms of pitchers he's it and there's a reason it's legit it's 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 totally you can totally see why that is it's justified is the word i was looking for totally justified for him to be the highest priced card in those sets for pitchers um yeah, and I think that even his rookie card to me is pretty affordable. I mean, because of the fact, he, like like you guys talked about, I mean, he's he's mentioned as one of the greatest pitchers of all time, like not just of his era, just period. So, I mean, it it sounds it may sound expensive to some people, but when you put it in perspective of where he fits in the history of the game, it's really not that bad. Yeah, Josh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quick look. Tell a cool story about Kofax and your dad. Why does your dad like Kofax so much? Did you already tell me that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, growing up, he was just his hero, and then you know, people collect off memories, right? It's not just about the stats, and you know. Having... So your your dad, as a kid, did he collect baseball cards? Yeah, he collected in '59 and '60, and just so those two years. Those were just the two years, and. Uh, he should have collected vintage, I guess. He should have been more like Mike. Oh, man. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been something? <laughs> in the packs. I mean, that's how most kids are, right? It was just, you know, yeah. packs, and then I went, you know, went through them later, graded some of them, and, you know, made the sets. So that that's how I kind of got into the hobby in the, you know, late 80s. That's so awesome. a PSA 3 Kofax, they sell for between four and $500 which to me still sounds really cheap. It is. Um, and, and you can get nice. I have a nice three in my collection and people, you know, there are greater snobs out there that, Oh, I can't have anything lower than a five or six. Well get ready to pay the big bucks. But if you want to just have a good example of a card like that, and I'm not saying that's, that's, you know, chump change four to $500 is a lot of money. But it's not as much as you might expect a card like that to go for, in that even in that type of grade. So, Andy, we've just found your that's your next that should be your next purchase. eBay bucks right now, do it. That's right, five percent, yeah, five percent, right? <laughs> yeah, on a four hundred dollar card, that's twenty dollars, man. That's I know. That's How can I not do it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, on the basketball side, everyone's having like the goat conversation. It's always like MJ, LeBron. Where's Kareem stand? And it's always a conversation happening. And it's strange that in baseball, it doesn't happen quite as much. Everyone just says, okay, Trout's the best player right now. You don't get the uh, Trout versus Betts or Man you know Manning-Brady type conversation very often. 
And I never hear like the best pitcher of all time. Like people aren't really comparing Cy Young or Walter Johnson or Kershaw or, you know, whoever else to, to Koufax. So if that ever became more of a thing, you could also expect prices to go up. Why is that? But baseball isn't done that way. It's like everybody they're they're left in their era, you know what I mean? And there's little crossover, let's say, in terms of comparing players across eras in baseball. It seems like it's so numbers driven in baseball. You almost can't have the conversation easily because people just say, Well, Trout's war is blah blah blah, and, and suddenly the conversation's over and you can't compare them to bets. But I think it's interesting to have those type of conversations because winning matters right and in basketball and football quarterbacks especially you're looking at the super bowls you're looking at the nba championships in baseball it's like what would it take for bets to be in that conversation of best player what would it take for a kershaw you know to be in the conversation and it's probably not just solely war maybe there is a you know playoff performance or number of world series titles that factors in. yeah there's a a modern look at wins, especially let's talk about pitchers because that's what we're on, but I, oh, wins don't matter anymore. Really? Isn't the whole point of pitching the game to win the game? I mean, to me, to, to completely discount wins as something to tell you how – and Jacob deGrom caused that, by the way, I think, and Felix Hernandez, you know, pitchers like that. They're so great, but they're sub-500 pitchers because their team sucks. Well – I don't know that you can just say – I'm not saying they're not great pitchers. I'm not saying DeGrom's really good. And, and could DeGrom win 25 games with the Yankees? Maybe. You know, we don't know that. Um, and so it cracks me up when people just completely, you know, oh, wins don't matter. Oh, yeah, they do. That's why you play the game. You're trying to win the game. Look at a guy like Steve Carlton who won – 25 games on a last place Phillies team or something. If I remember right, he won like 40% of the team's victories were Steve Carlton. So <laughs> if you're good enough, you can be that dominant. Right. Um, so I agree with you, Josh. I think wins do matter. I think. Yeah. I mean, whose career would you rather have? Would you rather have Griffey's career who was probably the better player or Jeter's career? If you could just, you know, go through and have that career. I I mean the championships do matter. That's why you play, right? Yeah, Jeter got more money too. <laughs> yeah, Jeter did get a lot of money. Have a pretty good life too. But I mean and, that, that that thought, right? Manning versus Brady, you know, yeah. uh, bets versus try whatever the the comparison is. Griffey was pretty clearly a better player than Jeter. Jeter never won the, you know, MVP even, but For sure. And that, that could be a great argument, though. I think that's a great point. You go, somebody could say Griffey, and you could make an easy case for that. And then all the Jeter people would say is five rings or how many rings they got, right? That's that's what they hang their hat on. And well, Griffey is literally generational talent, right? I mean, 600-plus home runs, first ballot Hall of Famer. Neither of them played for the Dodgers, which is supposed to be the point of this podcast, but whatever. We're just kind of going well, off. Let me go ahead and reel it in here, guys. <laughs> like, man, we could really have – maybe this is another episode to talk about that. But <laughs> I'd rather have Griffey's regular season career and Jeter's postseason career. Could you combine that and make, like, greatest player ever would be that, yeah. that trouble? Mm -hmm. Someone would have someone would have a tough time convincing me that that Griffey wasn't the better player of the two. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, Jeter just played on great teams. And he was great. I'm not saying yeah. Jeter wasn't really, really good. But uh for sure. Man, all right, back to the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 World Series champs, Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh doesn't really count, by the way. It's a COVID oh. season. Don't start with me. There's going to be an asterisk next to the World Series championship. Yeah. You already lost one of the Astros. Don't, don't get me started. I'm just excited a team actually won a World Series here in Arlington, you know, because it ain't going to be the Rangers anytime soon. That was the first. It was the first World <laughs> Series that was won in the city of Arlington. But, uh, man, what a great just 
talking through the cardboard history of these guys and there's so many more Dodgers players we could talk about, but we wanted to keep it reasonably limited. And we, those four guys just kind of jumped out at me in terms of their cardboard impact, what they've done for the hobby in terms of being popular and, and just their impact on the game of baseball. There's no doubt the Dodgers have left a mark and it started with really with Jackie and has continued all the way through 2020. So Josh, man, thanks for joining the the show here. Thank you. I appreciate it. Is this your first podcast? Uh, yeah, I believe so. You should change your name from rated rookie to podcast rookie. <laughs> and uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on YouTube and that kind of uh, thing. Any other yeah. social rated rookie, I guess rated rookie cards, I think on Instagram. So check it okay. out. Yeah. Rated rookie. Uh, Josh's collection, Andy will agree with me, is absolutely bananas. It's so, so good. I mean, I, I told Josh, like, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago when he put out his top 100 cards in his collection. I was like, dude, this is like one of the best videos I've ever seen on YouTube. Like, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, if you collect cards, you will like it because there's a little bit of something for everyone in there. And it's yeah, because it's multi-sport, right? It's it's yeah, all it's kinds of, including a hockey card, if I remember right, is in there. So got hockey, got tennis, he's got everything. Golf, golf, yeah. So <clears throat> must watch Josh's top hundred cards in his collection. You'll be impressed. If you're not, we need to talk. Leave about. the hobby. Leave the hobby if you're not impressed. Yeah, right. You just you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, so go check out Josh. Andy, thanks again, man, for co-hosting with me. As always, I've missed you. It's not the same without you. It took Josh. It took getting Josh on the show to get Andy to want to come back. It was, like, <laughs> and I think Josh had something to do with it too. So, uh, hey, I want Andy to be there because Mike's boring. I I totally get it. By the way, that's true. That was supposed to be kept off the record. No, I'm happy you're you're back healthy, man. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Well, everybody out there, thanks again for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Just keep supporting the podcast. Let us know what you think. If you're on YouTube, leave us a comment. Like, subscribe to BenchClear Media, and we will catch you guys on the next episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. Have a good one, and keep collecting.